Zalmana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 69 of the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that all of you listening are doing well. To start off today's episode, I'd like to announce the winner of last episode's drawing giveaway. Everyone who left a comment under the show notes for episode 68 was entered to win a signed copy of Mabel's Closet by Hannah Fettig. I chose a commenter at random using the online random number generator, and I'm happy to announce that the winner is Brittany Rotterway from Atlanta, Georgia. Congratulations, Brittany. I'll be in touch with you soon to get this prize mailed on out to you. And thank you to everyone who participated. So if I had to choose a theme for today's episode, it would have to be self-indulgent knitting. Because that's pretty much all I've been doing lately. As I mentioned before, I recently finished all of the knitting for my new design book, which will be released in the new year. And honestly, over the past few months, I worked so hard on that and also on the Annie book that I kind of just got a little tiny bit burnt out. It was kind of a lot for me, you know, to take on with a really busy life and two small children. So recently, selfish knitting has been the name of the game and I am loving it. Last time I recorded, I was in the middle of a second gift, a baby sweater for my cousin's new baby boy, and I finished that up a few weeks ago now. It turned out super cute, and I shipped it off to my cousin in New York. And again, the pattern I used is called Fisherman's Pullover from the book 60 Quick Baby Knits, and this is just a great little pattern. It's so cute, in fact, that my sister-in-law saw it and promptly ripped out the baby sweater she was making for her cousin and cast this one on immediately. Of course, because, you know, we always make the same baby sweaters. I love this little sweater so much that I had every intention of immediately casting on a second one for my own baby boy. Really, I did. I had every intention, but then I was sidetracked by the awesomest knitting project ever, and then shortly thereafter became extremely addicted to it. And I am so dead serious. This project has kind of taken over my life. And that project is none other than the Beekeeper's Quilt. So yeah, if you're familiar with this little pattern, then you already know what I'm talking about. No need for me to explain. But if you're not familiar with it, then let me take this opportunity to educate you on its awesomeness. This is a stunning, colorful, squishy knitted quilt comprised of hundreds of little knitted hexagons stuffed with fiberfill. I have been admiring this pattern since it was released, maybe like a few years ago now but finally just decided to print it out and get started. And once I did, I simply could not stop. These little hexagons, lovingly referred to as hexapuffs by the designer, are like little puffs of knitterly joy or something. 
They're knit in the round with sock weight yarn and require just a very small amount of yardage and just a little bit of stuffing. I have had so much fun digging through my stash to find yarn that will work for these. I have a remarkable amount of sock weight yarn, just little scraps left over from different things. And also I'm using sport weight yarn because that works too at the required gauge. It's just knit a little bit tighter. So both are working and I have tons of it and a great amount of Madeline Tosh and Becoming Art and then other really pretty hand dyed yarns. So it's looking really, really nice. And of course, I'm absolutely in love with the idea of using up all these scraps. As I've mentioned on the podcast before, I have so many small little remnants of yarn and I've never known what to do with them but I never want to throw them away. So this is a perfect use for them. Each little puff takes me about 30 minutes to complete. And I know that because I timed myself. So although the entire project is pretty much gigantic and may possibly take my entire lifetime to complete it, I still have that really satisfying, accomplished feeling every time I cast off on a new little hexapuff. And of course, put it with the other hexapuffs in the designated hexapuff basket. Now, you may think it sounds boring to knit up a million little hexagons repeating the same pattern over and over again, but trust me, it is not. There is so much room for variation and creativity with these. Not only can you choose different colors, but you can stripe or make polka dots or experiment with different stitches, or even make these adorable little color work designs on them. I have learned recently that there are tons of free chart patterns on Ravelry and on Pinterest for adorable little themed hexapuffs. There are just so many options out there, and because of that, I am completely obsessed. I myself really like the look of the little color work hexapuffs, but I've never felt really confident with my Fair Isle or Intarsia skills, so I tried, I attempted it to do it with stranded color work knitting on these little hex buffs, but I found it to be just really, really tedious and not really worth my time. I felt like I want to get a bunch of these done and I don't want it to take me hours to make just one. So anyway, I decided that the duplicate stitch technique was definitely the way to go for me personally to get that cute little patterned look. And I'm not super familiar with duplicate stitch. I've maybe done it once before a really long time ago, but I've been experimenting with it again on these hexapuffs and I love it. It's really, really fun. It reminds me of the time I dabbled in cross-stitch when I was a young teenager, or maybe embroidery. I've never done embroidery, but now I'm thinking that I'd like to. And the results of duplicate stitch are great. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's basically where you just knit a piece of plain knitted fabric in stockinette stitch, and then you take a needle and thread in a contrasting color and go over the stitches. And the result looks like you actually knitted a different color in, even though you didn't. You can't really tell the difference. 
So another reason why I like this is that when I get sick of knitting the hexapuffs, I just turn to embellishing them with duplicate stitch. So it keeps me from getting bored with it. It kind of switches things up and keeps it interesting. Okay, so listen, I have been so ridiculously enthralled with my hexapuffs that several times in the past week, I have not even been able to sleep at night because I've been so excited about them. Now, is that crazy or what? And it gets worse. When I'm not knitting hexapuffs, I find myself on Pinterest looking at charts of hexapuffs, you know, for ideas or stocking pictures of other people's hexapuffs on Ravelry. It's kind of turning into a serious problem. I have been talking to everyone I know about hexapuffs, and though the polite ones try their best to feign interest, I know that I am probably driving everyone around me absolutely crazy. <laughs> Every time I finish another hexapuff, I have to empty my basket, look at all of them all over again, see what they look like together, and then I arrange them, and I rearrange them, and I tilt my head, and I squint at them to kind of imagine what they'll look like when I have a lot of them all together in a blanket. And it's at this point that I make my husband or my daughter or anyone nearby tell me again which one is now their favorite, their new favorite, you know, rank the hexapuffs according to attractiveness. I am so annoying. But the good news is my baby boy seems to think that my hexapuffs are super fantastic. I don't dare leave my basket within his reach because he loves to take them all out and give them a very good squishing. Just the other night, he climbed up and knocked my basket off the table, and I walked right into what looked like a hexapuff explosion. My poor little hexapuffs were scattered all over the living room, and this in turn led to a hexapuff emergency. Later on that evening, as I was lovingly looking at my collection yet again, I noticed that two of my hexapuffs went missing. And not just any two, you know. It was the brown one and the orangish alpaca one. Since I know them individually so well, you see, I knew exactly which of my hexapuff children were gone. As any parent would be, I was concerned, so I tore apart my entire living room, tried to find these little hexapuffs, they were nowhere to be found, but later, when I emptied out my son's diaper bag, out they tumbled. So, most likely, he dropped him in there during his little unsupervised hexapuff party. So I'll let you know, no need to worry. They were safe, they were sound, and I reunited them in their basket with all their little hexapuff siblings. So, it's all good now. What a relief. Because this beekeeper's quilt is so portable, because you're only carrying around little bits at a time, I have been taking my little hexapuffs around with me everywhere. And as I knit on them, I have been dreaming of the day when I can drape this beautiful quilt over the couch or on my bed. I've not quite decided that part yet. I imagine that when it's all finished and done, what a conversation piece this will be. 
I can picture my kids snuggling up with it and picking out their favorite sections. And the other thing that is special to me about this quilt is that I feel like it's more than just a blanket. It seems like it would be a bit of a knitting and family scrapbook as well. Just think of it. Each little hexapuff is made from the remainders of a different knitting project. And in turn, little reminders of that time in our lives. That vacation, that knitted gift, that pregnancy, that person who wore it. I have so many memories of making special knitted things for my family members over the years, but I don't usually still have the actual items because they were given as gifts. All I'm left with are the pictures on Ravelry and the little leftover balls of yarn sitting in my stash. In using up all of these remnants, I feel like I'm bringing these projects and memories back to life. When it's all said and done, I think that this will be a knitting memory quilt for our family. I'll be able to point out to my kids, look, that's the yarn from your baby sweater, and that's from your little doll I made you when you were two, and that's from grandpa's socks. And as new items are made, new hexapuffs can be added to the quilt. It can grow over time. And I also thought, what if it's passed down in the family? What if I give it to my daughter? when she grows up and she makes her own hexapuffs out of yarn scraps from her own projects and adds to it for her own family. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? I was also thinking that it would be special to make some hexapuffs with letters on them and kind of find a creative way to work the names of our family members into the quilt. I have so many ideas for personalizing this. Now, realistically, This project will probably take a lifetime to finish. I think the final amount of hexapuffs I need to make a good size quilt is somewhere around 400. And after a week and a half, I have only um, 30 of them, but I am not worried. I am extremely determined to get this thing done. So I plan on keeping everyone updated as to my progress on the beekeeper's quilt. I'll be taking a picture of my Hexapuff collection soon. And then I thought I would take a picture at every, like, milestone of number of Hexapuffs, like maybe 50 and add 100, 150, so forth, to kind of show you how it's coming along. And I've given it some thought, and instead of sewing them together as I go, I think I'm going to knit all of the Hexapuffs and then sew them together at the end. And the reason for this is because I'm kind of particular about things and I want to make sure that the colors are really well blended. I think that I'm going to separate my colors into color families like a pile of blue hexapuffs, you know, in the blue family, a pile of in the red family and so forth so that at the end I can kind of make sure I have an equal number and disperse them evenly. And I think that that will look really good. And also I don't want to end up with too many stripes or too many solids. I'm just weird like that. So anyway, I will keep everyone informed as to how it's coming along. And of course, you can find a link to the pattern in the show notes if you'd like to get started on knitting some hexapuffs of your very own. I highly recommend that you do. But consider yourself warned, you will not be able to make just one. 
For today's show, I have two knitting books to share with you and also to contribute towards this episode's drawing giveaway. Both were sent to me by the book's publishers, and the first one is a brand new book by my friend Kate Oates called Knitting Clothes Kids Love. Now, Kate has been a guest on the podcast a couple of times now, and you probably recognize her name from her pattern line, Tot Toppers, and When I Grow Up. I've been following her design work for years now, and last year I even made her ultra-adorable Gramps cardigan pattern for my baby boy before he was born. I would say that Kate is really known for her fun and colorful style. She has so many great patterns available on Ravelry and in yarn shops, so of course I was super excited to see her first published hardcover book. This book contains 25 children's accessory patterns for heads, shoulders, knees, hands, and toes. There are leg warmers, there's hats, there's hair accessories, mittens, you name it. All in Kate's signature, whimsical colors and styling. So if you enjoy Kate's design work, I really recommend you check out her new book. It's really cute. The other book I wanted to share with you is titled Knit Red, and it was published earlier this year, and it was written by Laura Zander, the owner of Jimmy Bean's Wool. This is another gorgeous hardcover book designed to educate knitters about heart health. It contains 30 beautiful patterns, all knit in the color red, to go along with Laura's Stitch Red campaign. And also it contains tips and stories regarding heart disease and how to stay healthy. And there are even recipes in this book. This book has many lovely patterns contributed by some of the most recognizable names in our industry, including Nora Gone, Isolde Teague, Debbie Bliss, and Jared Flood. It really is a beautiful book, it has a great message, and I invite you to check out this one as well. Another great thing about it is that a portion of all the proceeds from this book are donated to the Foundation for the National Institutes of Health. So I'll provide a link in the show notes to both of these titles, and if you'd like to enter to win one, please leave a comment on my blog under the show notes for episode 69. I'll be choosing two winners on the next episode. The first person chosen will have the choice of which book they would like to receive in the mail, and the second person chosen will get the remaining title. You have until January 15th to enter to win. And please do not forget to leave your contact information so that I can get in touch with you if you are one of the winners. If your contact information isn't there, like your Ravelry ID, your email address, anything like that, then I'm going to have to pick somebody else. I'm sorry. I've just had too many unclaimed prizes over the years. This episode's knitting story was contributed by podcast listener Kanani Fox, or Kanani on Ravelry, and I really hope I pronounced that right. It's K-A-N-A-N-I, and this is her personal knitting story, entitled Eager to Learn. I have been called an accomplished knitter. I began to wonder if that was accurate. Accomplished, defined by Webster, as proficient as the result of practice and training. 
I have practiced at knitting, but not trained by someone per se, rather book trained. I wouldn't say I was accomplished though. I prefer to be known as an eager learner. I began knitting about eight years ago when my husband was hired at his first professional job. He had always been very gracious about sharing his perks with me, and on his first bonus, he purchased me a starting set of needles, some inexpensive yarn, and a few notions that were suggested in the book Knitting the Easy Way by Terry Kimbrough. I had purchased it a few months before on discount from Borders when we were at university. I had read it several times before I was able to practice on the real thing, so I had plenty of hours of visualizing myself knitting and purling. Once I had the supplies, I was ready to knit my first project. As an academic scientist, I have a method to my madness, and knitting was no exception. Start on page one and complete each project as outlined in the book. The first project was a dishcloth. The stitch pattern wasn't difficult, but it didn't come easy. As I look back, it was a simple knit and purl pattern, randomly scattered from row to row. But as a beginner, visualizing my success didn't help. I decided to give up and scan the book to see what else I could knit, and according to the difficulty rating, a garter stitch scarf would be the next easiest thing. I began slowly, and soon enough, I was done with my first project, a pastel pink scarf about five and a half feet long, perfect for wrapping and wrapping and wrapping and wrapping around my neck. At the time, I didn't mind that it was scratchy acrylic yarn or that I despised pink. I was simply proud of my first project and was looking for something else to make. Time passed, and I had made more scarves, a cell phone case, an eyeglass case, and a set of barn animal finger puppets. It was then I knew toys would be my knitterly calling, if I had one. I searched online for other patterns and ran across Susan B. Anderson's Itty Bitty Toys, which had just been published. I waited until we had some money to devote to purchasing the book, some yarn, and whatever needles I might need, and I ordered the book from Amazon. At first glance, everything was so cute, but looked difficult. With a few false starts and a ton of reading how to knit in the round, I had completed a squishy, a basic round ball that I gave to my mother-in-law's cat to play with. Some say that I learned quickly, but I like to think of it as I was hooked. I had made a ton of projects from the book, and gave them away or kept them as demos and practice items. I keep all of mine in a box in the garage until I have kids of my own and hopefully they will play with them. I began to follow Susan's blog and later I found out she also designed patterns for Spud and Chloe yarns. I knitted all the free patterns I could get my hands on from the website. Even though the patterns called for specific yarns, I used up what I had, and that was my starting stash of acrylic yarn from years earlier. I was happy with the result, and since that is what I could afford, I made the best of it. My husband and I were just newlyweds. We only had a little money to spend on extras, and our bargain was to buy yarn only when I needed it, and if I didn't have any more in the stash to use. 
This began our official agreement to only buy yarn when, quote, I needed it, end quote. Several years later, this is very difficult to keep true. But I have managed to hold my end of the bargain by finding more projects to knit one after the other. There is a catch to finding more projects. We have also agreed I can only have one project on the needles at a time. This might sound unreasonable. However, the limitations actually provide better focus, skill building, and creativity. For example, I can knit smaller projects with new yarn each time, larger projects that require lots of yarn, or many medium projects that require some yarn but are quick to knit and thus allow me to choose another project. I must add that while my knitterly calling is to knit toys that bring smiles and fascination to children and their parents, my initial motivation was to knit Christmas sweaters for my future family. I have always admired the casual style and sophistication of East Coast cabled sweaters and fair aisle patterns. I had thought my goal would be first learn to knit, then choose a pattern, and finally make a set of matching sweaters for my family each matching one another in a unique way, but different styles and age appropriateness. This personal goal has not yet been accomplished. However, great progress has been made in the recent six months. Back to my story of being an eager learner. Approximately a year and a half to two years back, Susan Anderson hosted a knit along for a raglan sweater. I thought this was the perfect platform to explore my skills and determine if the family Christmas sweater dream would be fulfilled. I started along using up my leftover acrylic yarns to measure, knit a gauge swatch, and begin calculating for my first garment. By the way, scarves are not garments in my book. They are accessories. No measuring, fitting, or ease is taken into account for a scarf, or socks for that matter. This would be the ultimate test. After a month or two of knitting, I finished this first sweater, and it fit okay. Not great, but it did fit, and I wore it regularly and faithfully all winter. Now, I live on California's central coast, and the weather here is fair all year round, so a long sleeve sweater isn't the best option for most days, but I didn't care. I was going to wear it as much and often as I could. It was wasn't until I visited Target that a sad realization occurred. While I loved my rainbow sweater, not everyone in the clothes world did. As usual, I wore my sweater shopping one weekend. My hubby and I cruised through Target for our items, and when we returned home, my sweet husband commented that there were some girls at Target that were giggling. I replied, at what? And he broke the sad news. While I loved my sweater and was proud to wear something that I had made, these girls were laughing at my handiwork and commented that it didn't look very good. I had almost burst into tears, both of sadness and anger. I knew then I would have to prove these girls and any others like them that they were wrong. My sweater was great and I would show them. The following winter, I cast on for a cabled cardigan with Asian features like a tie at the side and a shawl collar. I was very excited and knew that if I completed this, it would vindicate me on every level of my skills. 
Keep in mind that I didn't know how to do half of the key features of the sweater. Cables, double knitting, piecing a sweater together, short row shaping, the list went on and on. I would be an eager learner and master these new skills no matter what it took. I read and reread the pattern over and over. I knit gauge swatches of all the new patterns, tested needles, and shopped for yarn. It was the day to cast on, and I would knit stitch by stitch to complete this cardigan. I ripped out the beginning stitches several times to get it right, and redid cables over and over to be sure they crossed correctly. Seven months later, in fact, it was this past April that I finished. I am very proud to say that it is done without mistake. I wore it the first time, and even my mother-in-law thought I had purchased this sweater. I wear it with pride, and even if those girls giggled, I know that I studied on how to perfect my skills and with confidence can pursue other projects I had only dreamed about, taking it one stitch at a time and learning new skills on the way. I have only recently in the last month met other knitters face-to-face and have learned of the capacity to download podcasts for knitting. I schedule regular visits to my local yarn store and have recently shared tips on how to construct new garments in the round. In fact, it was yesterday that I taught another knitter how to do a provisional cast on. Who would have thought? I didn't. From a failed dishcloth that I have never made or attempted again, to a cabled cardigan, and now to sharing tips and skills with others, I am what some call an accomplished knitter but I say I am simply eager to learn. Thank you again, Kanani, for your story. I hope that all of you listening really enjoyed it. And if you out there can think of a knitting story that you would like to share on the podcast sometime, please get in touch. Remember, I send out knitting-related presents to everyone who contributes. As a reminder, the show notes for this episode, as well as all episodes of Never Not Knitting, can be found on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. I'm also, of course, over on ravelry.com as Never Not Knitting, and you can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Well, that's pretty much it for episode 69. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope that you'll join me again for episode 70 and the season finale at the end of January. Until then. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a-clicking from morning until she goes to bed. She won't take the time to brush her teeth. Let's not even talk about her hair If it isn't about knitting She just doesn't really care She's never not knitting And it's making her husband mad Her husband mad Pop ramen again She just won't stop the stitching and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. I don't know about her. She used to be such a sweet girl, but now she doesn't knit. Nobody has clean laundry. 
no pants, no shirts, no underwear. But they have closets full of sweaters and more socks than they could ever wear. There's yard in the fridge, in the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry. It's even in the washer and dryer. That's why she can't do any laundry. I need some clothes. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. I'm filing for divorce. She just won't stop her stitching, and the neighbors say it's really getting bad. She's taking pictures of socks again. Oh, poor girl. The house is burning up in flames. Call 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting. And it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching. And, well, she's losing all she had.